Hello, you are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. Thanks, guys. All right. Two weeks in a row, huh? How about that? Wow. All right. You guys came back. How many of you were here last week? Awesome. Cool. If you didn't raise your hand, just just feel a little bit of shame. Not a lot, but just a little. (laughs) I'm joking. I hope you know. That'll become more clear as I get into what the message actually is. Um, so for these last, last few, I think maybe three or four messages that I've done, there's been a little bit of a, a train of, of thought uh, that's kind of gone on to it. And it's been, uh, if you've been a, a part of those, just a quick refresher, it's been a, a lot about this idea of, of defining what, what love is in, in the godly context. And, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a train of sermons about, about love, a, a, a love train, if you will. Um, oh, I expected a little bit better laugh for that one. Oh. Maybe a little bit too dated. Oh yeah, the younger kids are in here, so that, that joke probably doesn't doesn't land quite as well. Moving swiftly along, uh, the, we've been talking about what what love is. Last week we talked about loving your enemies and how that is a great concept. That's probably a lot harder than we actually think when we get down into the meat of it. Uh, t- today I want to talk about a, a facet of love that I am um, I think probably historically at least at least in the in the in the scope of experience that's, that's passed in, in front of me, is probably one of the areas that I would say that the church has struggled with uh, the most. And this aspect of love is called acceptance. <laughs> it was a perfect sound for what I was trying to describe. Acceptance. Okay. And, I, and that sound says, well, what do you mean by that? You know? Because we have this thing that we don't like called sin that we're not supposed to treat, uh, we're supposed to treat that as, as bad and, and as wrong. But oftentimes I've noticed that this sin thing uh, is attached to and like around people and we're supposed to love them, right? This is tricky. This is, this is a tricky conundrum, you know. Uh, and so what, what is that then? So what, first of all, before you uh, get too upset, let's define this word acceptance because this is a word that can mean different things to different people. And um, we're going to use the definition that we're going with today, which, because we can think of acceptance as like uh, just welcoming everything or everything is, everything is good, everything is fine, and, uh, you know, just, just open arms or, or whatever. But uh, to, uh, I, I like the definition that uh, uh, Dr. John Townsend uses. Uh, he wrote, uh, with Dr. Uh, Henry Cloud, the book uh, Boundaries, if you're familiar with, with that one. Um, uh, he defines acceptance very simply and straightforwardly as uh, to connect without judgment. To connect without judgment. Now let's, let's kind of walk around this a little bit so that we make sure that we're, we're saying the same thing. Because again, words, words mean different things to different people in different contexts. So to connect without judgment. That does not necessarily mean that I am saying that whatever you're doing is, is okay, that I am accepting that you're doing that, or I think it's fine that you're doing this or doing that or the other thing. It just means I'm not letting it prevent me from connecting with you. Does that make sense? Okay, a little bit happier now, less grumbles, we're, we're getting there. Um, now again, 
uh, we'll keep walking around this a little bit because I want to make sure we understand it, but I, I think it's important that we understand that this is a fundamental aspect of love, and it is found throughout the gospel in, in many ways. I, I have a lot to cover today, so I don't want to just kind of shotgun scriptures at you, but a few of them are, again, Romans 15, 7 says, accept one another, then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Again, the, the gospel is initiated by Christ accepting us. Does that make sense? By God accepting us. Accepting us. Again, uh, you know, 1 John uh, 4.19 says, we love God because he first loved us. He, and later, uh, let me see what we got here. Uh, Romans 5, uh, verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He loved us, he accepted us, while we were still sinners. Does that mean that he said the sin was okay, no problem, no big deal? No, it meant that he chose to connect to us still. Does that make sense? The Greek word here in uh, Romans 15, accept, and oftentimes when you see it in the New Testament, is uh, another way to say it would be to take something into yourself. It's also used in, in response to like revelation or an idea or a belief, like receive this idea into yourself or receive it unto yourself, take it on as your own. This idea of connection. Now, again, acceptance is this, this tricky thing because again, we have this sin issue. Now, I, I would like to suggest somewhat tentatively based on the groans at the beginning that we have perhaps uh, historically, not necessarily you individually, but we as the church historically have perhaps erred on the side of ensuring that we are addressing the sin at the expense of ensuring that there's acceptance. And in fact, maybe even still, even though we're trying to kind of separate these things out a little bit, you might be picturing acceptance as everything you're doing is fine and I'm not going to say that it's wrong. Uh, sometimes we, through our history or through our experience, ideas that don't aren't inherently connected together become fused and we no longer how to do one without doing the other. And I think for many of us, we don't know how to operate in acceptance with someone that we disagree with. But this is one of the foundation stones of the gospel. Because Jesus didn't accept us because we were good enough. He didn't accept us because we were going to work on that later. <laughs> he didn't accept us because we had an attitude of, well, I think he's really working on that sin issue. He accepted us while we were still sinners. Thanks, Kim. <laughs> so, again, let's, let's keep walking through this idea because what, what, what is this kind of, of acceptance? Uh, Acceptance means, hey, that might be not okay, but we are okay. So you can start to see this more in the context of family. That's kind of an easier place to put it. My son, my daughters, they can, uh, I have more than one son, my sons and daughters, uh, they, can, uh, they can make a lot of mistakes that will bother me a lot, that will hurt me a lot, that could in fact devastate me. But nothing 
honestly, that they could do would make me want to stop accepting them, to lose my connection with them, to say, you and I are together no matter what. This is also what marriage is designed to be, that we have accepted one another as husband, as wife. We, we, we've accepted one another, and so we have decided to remain connected no matter what. And you can see this demonstrated. You can see the difference between being inside acceptance and outside acceptance. Uh, this is ho hopefully a, a relatable example, but you ever have someone like uh, point out a flaw in your family and you get real defensive, even though you know it's totally true? <laughs> you ever have that experience? Like perhaps a spouse, just maybe. Like they married in and they find your family strange, like different than their family. And perhaps they find some of the things they do offensive or bothersome or even unhealthy. You know, I'm sure that's happened to none of you, but <laughs> you get kind of defensive, even though you know they're, yep, you're not saying anything that's not true, you know? Why is that? Well, oftentimes it's because you, while you can still recognize the flaws in your family, the mistakes that they make, the maybe even unhealthy patterns, you have accepted them. And it is hurtful when someone says the exact same statement, the exact same truth, points out the same reality outside of having fully accepted them. Does that make sense? So again, trying to capture this picture of what acceptance is. It's not necessarily, in fact, it's almost important that it's not automatically saying everything is good and everything is fine. It's in fact most important when everything is not fine. Does that make sense? And so, feel a bit better? Okay. All right. Now still, even with this definition of acceptance, I, I look across the scope of my church history and I, I find I often see this missing. Um, again, usually out of fear of looking like or creating an environment where we are accepting of someone's unhealthiness, of, of someone's sin, of someone's uh, belief system, wh whatever it is. Would you say that's true? Now, again, I don't, like I have with all of these, this uh, little series here on this uh, love train, I'm sticking with that. Um, the, uh, the, I, I don't have answers here, because I, I, part of my brain thinks like, okay, this, this idea of acceptance without, you know, without uh, violating the gospel, without violating the values of the kingdom, in my heart and mind, maybe it looks like a surgeon's knife where you have to cut just so and, and not make any mistakes and just get it just right. And you go too far this way and the person's dead in 15 minutes. So you, you, know, you go too far this way and you miss the important part of the surgery, you know. But I, it, I, I keep feeling like that is a very human way of looking at a godly principle. This idea of like, get it just right, you know? Because the gospel is not about us getting it just right, you know? So then, what is it? Well, there's uh, several stories of acceptance in the Bible, but I'm gonna share uh, my favorite. Um, so there's this guy you may have heard of, his name was Jesus. In fact, it still is Jesus. Um, and uh, he had some friends. He had these people that followed him around. There were many multitudes, in fact, that followed him around. Uh, but there were these 12 guys that really followed him around a lot. And then there were these three that were just super tight with him. Super, super tight. And one of those people's name was Peter. Ever heard of this guy? 
Peter's awesome. I love Peter. I, uh, I, I, I probably identify a little bit more with like a combination of like a John with a little sprinkle of Thomas in there, you know. I, I, I love Jesus with all my heart, soul, and mind, but I question everything. Um, that's that's kind of my, my uh, approach. Um, but I, I think maybe even for that reason, I have this admiration for Peter because Peter is just in, man. Peter is he, is, he is out front. He is in. He is bold. He is direct. He is, he is for Jesus all the way, no matter what, even if occasionally he cuts the wrong guy's ear off. You know, it just, it's just, you know, he is in all the way. I love it, you know. And again, this, this history, to, to really capture this, the, the power of this story, you have to have at least a little bit of a scope of the, the history that Jesus and Peter have. Because I think because Peter was so outspoken, there's a little bit more of a clear history of their, of their relationship of, you know, Peter's the one who's going to jump out on the water and say, like, oh, it's Jesus, great, I'm going, you know. He's, he's the one who kind of receives some of the most correction from Jesus, but that's because I think they had that kind of relationship. They could, their, their connection could handle that and they could push, push and pull uh, with, with, with one another. Um, you know, G, uh, Peter was just out fishing when he was called by Jesus. He saw something miraculous. He recognized something amazing about this man, and he started following him. In, in fact, he is, he is one of the first who recognized that he was, in fact, not just a good teacher, but the Messiah who had been sent. So this, 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 so Peter, again, he's, he's, he's tight. You know, Jesus is washing, washing the disciples' feet. And Peter's like, no, you, yeah, this is way beneath you. You cannot wash my feet. Jesus is like, no, if you don't partake in this, you have no part of me. And he's like, then wash my whole body. I'm all the way in. Like, you know, my mistake, no problem correcting. We're going, you know. Um, we, we flash forward just shortly after, after that. And, you know, we have, uh, uh, you don't need to turn to these, but just for future reference, uh, Luke 22, 31 you know, Jesus is predicting his death. He's predicting the betrayal of, of uh, Judas, not, you know, explicitly, but he's predicting all that's going to happen. And then, you know, this is Peter. He says, but he said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. You know, of course you are, Peter. Of course you are, you know. And then, of course, this is when Jesus says to Peter, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow today until you have denied me, th- denied three times that you know me. Now, again, I say this a lot, but it, it's, it is important, especially if you're a person who grew up in church. Some of these stories you've heard so many times, and you know the beginning, middle, and end, and all of the meanings behind the beginning, middle, and end so well that these stories can lose some of their impact. But as we revisit this story of Peter denying Jesus, I, I want you to take a little bit more of a, a living picture of what the, the trajectory of this story was. Because again, if there is one disciple who is going to like be pushing, fighting, running with Jesus the entire way to the cross, it seems like it's going to be Peter, right? He is in. He again chops dude ear off as soon as Jesus is getting arrested. He is he is he is ready to do what's needed. Um, so just a few verses after this, Jesus gets arrested. Uh, Luke tells us that Peter was following along behind this this group, this party that was that was taking Jesus to the Sanhedrin, to the to the people that were going to do the initial judgment of of him. And Peter goes along, kind of sneaking behind. His his world is being rocked right now. He doesn't know what was go- what's going on. He even though again we can look at the scope of the entire story and see what the trajectory of it is. Uh, especially when you look at the response of all the disciples, they didn't know. They thought that this had just been ruined. Their, their faith was being shook. 
Yeah? And so this servant comes up and says, hey, aren't you one of the ones who was with him? He denies him. No, it's not me. Another servant comes up, or the same servant, second time comes up. Hey, no, 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 I recognize your accent. He would have had a Galilean accent, and that would be an uncommon accent in the uh, area of, of Jerusalem. And so it kind of stand out, sound a little bit like a country bumpkin maybe a little bit, you know, that kind of that idea. Um, I say that in a, not in an unkind way, um, <laughs> to be clear. <laughs> um, uh, so, you know, I recognize you, you have the same accent. You have that, that accent like, like, like you know, uh, from, from Galilee. No, it is not me. Even some versions of this story say that he, he's been swearing, that he's been uh, releasing oaths. No, it is not me. No, I have never known this man. Right at that moment, the, the rooster crows, and then in Luke it tells us right at that moment, Jesus is just over there with the Sanhedrin, that Jesus lifts his head and meets his eye in that moment. Oof. Now, you got to understand, it's easy to, um, but we do this a lot with the disciples where we can just kind of judge them or just look at them as native examples. I've heard pastors compare them to like the Three Stooges or something like that. And uh, when you're doing something like that, uh, it's important to recognize that uh, uh, in, in a, from the literary perspective, the disciples represent you and I. <laughs> Um, in the sense that we, we all are following Jesus. We all have our own unique personalities, our unique strengths, our unique perspectives, but we are all following this Jesus. And part of what this part of the story is showing to us is, is the challenge that we face and what happens when this belief in Jesus is tested by reality or by things not happening the way that you expected, you know? And so again, it's easy to judge Peter, and I've heard sermons about this where they talk about how, how Peter's so boastful and, and you know, about how he's always for Jesus and then he fails here. No, I, I don't think he was boastful. This is Peter through and through the entire story and after this story. This is just him being who he is. But, who he is, this, but this was so devastating that who he was fell apart. And when he got into a mob that was following Jesus, he was so broken, he was so scared that he followed the pattern of the mob and just wanted to just disappear into, I don't know him, I don't, I don't know this guy. A very natural human response to being challenged, to being rocked, to being hurt in the way that he must have been hurt in this moment. But then he has that moment. And it seems to me that he must have forgotten that Jesus made this prediction because as soon as the rooster crows, lights click on, he makes eye contact with Jesus and he realizes. And then in uh, verse, um, uh, let me see, where are we? Oh, it says uh, in uh, Luke 22, it's verse uh, 62. He says, and he went out and he wept bitterly. So he, he so overwhelmed by realizing what he had just done, by realizing what had happened, that he just ran out and fell down and wept. Well, thankfully, the story doesn't end there. Jesus dies. He ra he's raised again. Um, uh, some, some women hear from an angel that Jesus has raised from. They go, they go back to the tomb. Peter is one of the first ones to run over there and check it out and see that it's gone. And he's still kind of in that state of like, oh, no, someone stole the body because that's a realistic thing to believe at this point. Jesus was a very well-known figure, and it was a very intense situation that happened. Someone has stolen the body to try to do whatever, you know, to try to 
pretend this, pretend that, whatever. And so what does he do? He goes back to fishing, goes back to his old job. And Jesus, in his mercy, in, 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 in such tremendous poetic beauty, approaches him the same way that he had the first time and asks him to follow him. Peter, being the cool guy that he is and being himself uh, still, jumps out of the boat and swims back to go be with Jesus. And they sit together. And again, I've heard this told as from the perspective, I don't, I don't think it's a wrong perspective, but I think it's an incomplete one. I, I've heard this story told from the perspective that this is Jesus giving Peter the opportunity to redeem himself for the sin of denying him. I don't think that's wrong, but it misses... It misses the connective reality of the kind of relationship that God wants to have with us and that Jesus demonstrated with his disciples. This is Jesus showing acceptance by saying, hey, what happened? Maybe that wasn't great, but we're still good. Does that make sense? He's giving Peter the opportunity to come back and say, hey, we're still good. We're still good. It's, it's, it's beautiful. It's, it's powerful. But I, uh, well, we'll come back to this in just a second. Um, in many ways, acceptance is the foundation of love. It, it in many ways, can be the difference between your words sounding like a resounding gong are carrying the transformative power of the gospel. And again, it's hard because in many of our minds, acceptance is attached to, um, to this idea of do whatever you want or I, I, you don't need to change anything or I accept you as, as you are. But again, that is not what it is designed to be. Again, uh, we go back to the metaphor of marriage. Uh, acceptance, accepting one another is one of the foundational stones of marriage. But it is obvious that even though I will accept you no matter what, that does not mean we have no relational requirements of one another. It does not mean do whatever you want. It actually, in many ways, creates limits more than any rule or regulation possibly would but it is not because of a rule and regulation, it is because of the relationship we have, of acceptance we have engaged into. Does that make sense? So I'll tell you this story real quick and we'll wrap this all together, uh, hopefully. Um, so I, I grew up a, a missionary kid and a pastor's kid uh, for, for all of my life and I am, um, you know, when you're a pastor's kid, when you're a missionary kid, you're in a lot of meetings, let me tell you. Um, you go to a lot of church services, you sit in a lot of staff meetings, you, you know, and yeah, I, I, I've loved God for as long as I, I, I've known who he was, and honestly, probably before that, and I've, I've uh, felt connected to God my, my entire life. But, you know, there's a lot of meetings. And so sometimes when it's the third service on a Sunday, you just got to sit on the back with your Game Boy and play Tetris and Super Mario Land, you know, until the batteries run out. Sometimes got some applause from back there. I appreciate that. Um, sometimes that's what you have to do to protect your love for the Lord and his presence.
presence in his church is to do that. Um, I, I always, uh, I have a little nostalgic uh, tick in my heart anytime I see kids in worship on their, on their phones or something playing, playing games and I could see maybe sometimes, and I'm not talking about anyone in particular, uh, the, like embarrassedly noticing that maybe the volume was up too loud or like, oh no, I sure wish my kid was maybe like on the, on the floor like weeping in God's presence or something like that. Um, while as a parent I can understand those, those emotions, uh, I probably spent 30% of the services that I went to as a kid uh, playing uh, Tetris in Super Mario Land, and uh, I still love the Lord just as much as, as, as ever. And so you're in the presence, whether you're in the presence in the way that we think, right? So, um, yes. <laughs> but yes, we are judging you and your children. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Um, that was a joke. <laughs> um, and so, you know, as I got to be more of a teenager and things like that, we, we moved to a church in Southern California, and I got to be really good friends with the uh, worship pastor's uh, son. And again, when you're a worship pastor's son, just like when you're a missionary kid, you go to a lot of church meetings, and sometimes, you know, it's a lot. So sometimes I'd spend the majority of a Sunday not actually going into the church, but like just walking around the, in, in the Jericho style around, you know, chatting with my, chatting with my, my friend the, the whole time. And, you know, most people were fine with that. Some people would like, give us the, uh, yeah, oh, there's those heathen, uh, you know, pastor's kids over there, um, you know, the, uh, every now and again, you know. Um, again, sure none of you have ever done that. Um, and uh, as we, you know, went forward in our lives, um, so both, both me and my friend, he's still one of, one of my best friends to, to this day, um, both very kind of cognitive sort of people, love to, love to read, love to learn, love to do all those things. And as we grew and, and got older and got into junior high, high school, started learning more, started reading more, and started uh, kind of going through this walk, both of us kind of at the same time, with, with, uh, with re-engaging with how we believe what we believe. You know, when you're, one of the challenges that anyone who grows up in the faith has is that like all of the beliefs or all of your family values, they start as something that you are given, you know, and you have to at some point decide, is this what I want for myself? Now that's terrifying if you're a parent, I know, but it's the only way to have something that you own as your, as your own. And that process looks different for everyone. For some people, you might not even notice it. For some people, it's, it's more complicated than that. And I think me and my friend were maybe somewhere, somewhere in the middle. Um, now, again, as I'm reading this, reading that, learning this, learning that, you know, some of you are probably saying, oh, I just don't read. That's a good solution. Um, <laughs> works great in the short term, not so much in the long term. Um, the, I, I realize problems. I realize things that, about, that I have been taught that are maybe not consistent with aspects of reality. I hear challenges towards my belief system that I've never heard before and don't have a place for. And, you know, we don't have time to go into those things today, but maybe we'll do a class on that sometime in the future. Who knows? But, um, or not, that's fine too. Um, <laughs> the, the, um, I, I, I noticed very quickly that any time I brought the littlest bit of any of those problems to uh, my fellow 
churchgoers, uh, the acceptance went out the window almost instantaneously. <laughs> and we laugh because it is funny. But it's also kind of not funny. <laughs> because I experienced that as a wide open door to look for somewhere that accepted me to talk about these things that I was worrying about. Which is a bit of a roll of the dice of who I land with that is gonna give me acceptance and what kind of influence they're, they're going to give me. Hope you're starting to see some of the value of acceptance in, in this story, just to, just to bring the beginning forward in the end. Um, and so uh, I'm not a confrontational person, I'm uh, uh, typically not a confrontational person, especially when I'm processing something that I'm not sure about. So I quickly learned, oh, don't talk about this about anybody because they're just going to freak out. So I didn't. Um, and now that's great, but again, that's another coin flip of I'm just processing with myself, my Bible, and these books that I find, uh, deciding, figuring out what I feel and what I believe about things. Um, my friend and my friend did the same, and so out of that process, as the years went went on, I again I don't have time to get into the entirety of this story, but I I ended up taking on my faith as my own. I ended up taking on my belief in Christ as my own. I ended up uh, uh, you know deciding to reengage, and my friend didn't. And to this. I remember when he called me to tell me, essentially that he was an agnostic, which is, you know, hey, you can't really be sure about any of this, but it might be true, might not be true, but you really can't be sure because you can't. And um, that's my version of what agnosticism is. Um, <laughs> close enough. Some agnostics probably gonna yell at me, but um, the, uh, and I remember I was in uh, ministry school uh, in Reading when he called me. And so I'd already kind of made my decision, was heading in, in uh, further into the, the Jesus direction. Um, and I was silent for about two minutes after he told me. And he kind of kept talking because I was not talking. Because I could feel my acceptance retreating from my friend. And I knew how that felt. <laughs> And I knew what it would do to our relationship and my ability to influence him. And I knew that if I tried to influence him without that acceptance there, I would have an agenda other than my connection with him. And that would destroy my influence. And I lamented that I did not know how to accept him in that moment. The only thing I could manage was to tr do my best to not reject him. Acceptance is, is the platform that makes room for love, makes room for the love of God, makes room for the gospel. And again, don't get me, don't get me wrong, and I have been trying to echo this through all these messages about love. That is hard because how do you do that? without uh, enabling someone? How do you do that without reinforcing something that is, that, is not, that is not true, that is not a healthy value, that is in fact damaging to them and others? How do you do that? I don't know. I don't know. 
but I know that the only way that they will allow me, not cognitively, but in their soul, allow me to have any influence in that struggle is if we have acceptance. Does that make sense? And so I don't know how, and I don't want to just swing the pendulum this way, you know, at, at the risk of uh, because the pendulum has been swung this way. But when I don't know how to do something, that's where I try to engage with the Holy Spirit to the absolute utmost. And I want to take a moment here to go back to this story of Peter, to what this story of acceptance led to. And hopefully it can kind of continue to lock this in your mind. So we have this beautiful story of Peter who is just the, the all-in disciple, you know, and who has this moment where he, he outwardly denies Jesus, outwardly, outwardly denies any association with Jesus. And then you have this restorative moment where Jesus, showing tremendous acceptance, meets him where he's at and just shows him again, hey, maybe that wasn't good, but we are good, you know. Flash forward to what this did in Peter's life in the future. Uh, Acts 4. So Peter is uh, Peter and John are out and they're uh, doing the ministry. And they just uh, healed this dude. Uh, and the Sanhedrin, not so happy about that, not so happy that they're preaching the, the gospel of Jesus. And so they take him before the Sanhedrin, which again is kind of like the uh, religious court, if, if you will. Um, and so this is Acts 4, uh, verse 8, if you want to look at it later. Um, and so Peter is in front of the Sanhedrin. In fact, the same kind of assembly uh, where he had just outside uh, denied Jesus, he is now in the middle of the assembly in a similar situation that Jesus was. And in this assembly, Peter stands up and he says this, Acts 4 verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if, you are, if we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man as to how this man has been made well, let it be made known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man now stands before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which has become the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among mankind by which we must be saved. And you have this beautiful echo of not just the same kind of situation, but the exact opposite of rather than denying his name, he is in fact declaring his name before the same kind of people that he was scared even being a member of the crowd before. Now, Again, I've heard this taught as, well, you know, the Holy Spirit came upon Peter, so therefore this is a superpower that comes with the Holy Spirit. You just pray, you receive the superpower, and shabam, you have boldness, and you will say anything before anyone, which is a great way to give you very few ways to actually try to pursue that and make that happen. Um, but I would like to suggest that there was something deeper. I would like to suggest that because he walked through the experience of acceptance, with Jesus after his denial, that that reestablishment of connection is what empowered him to operate on this day. And I think that is reinforced by the very next verse. Uh, verse 13, he says, Now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. Jesus. 
Jesus operated in acceptance with Peter, was able to reinstill, to heal the tear that had occurred in their relationship. So that however many years this was later, he could not only declare before other men the very thing he had denied before, but also that even in that declaration, they would recognize that this was a man who was with Jesus. This was a man who was connected with Jesus. And to, to, to come in for a landing, the, the thing is, is you, you guys are Christians, which uh, translated literally means little Christ. So that's a way of poetically saying that you're the Jesus for right now. You're the representations of Jesus. You are the imitators of Christ that exist right now. And so that means when you find the way to release acceptance, to release love, to release connection, you are plugging people in to the connection of Christ. Does that make sense? Thank you. <laughs> and again, I, I want to re-engage here with this. This is challenging. This is hard. I, I would go so far as to suggest that probably some of us need to receive the kind of acceptance that God has towards us so that we actually have it to give to other people. Because I think many of us, because we were uh, many of us are raised or have lived in a culture that either explicitly or implicitly told us that the degree you are accepted is the degree to which you perform the duties of a Christian, which is, of course, the gospel. That's <laughs> that verse that he... <laughs> For God was so bothered by the uh, sin of the world that he killed his own son to fix the problem. <laughs> That's not quite how that verse goes. <laughs> the verse is obviously, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whosoever should believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Some versions of the way that we actually operate internally and experience our, our version of the gospel is more like that fake verse that I made up a second ago, which is, you guys messed up so bad that God had to send and kill his son to fix the problem that you have, and you better be real grateful for that. It's just not in the Bible anywhere. <laughs> but that is how we act sometimes, yeah? And that is how, usually because of incorrect images of, of God and his character, we, we act, we react, and unfortunately, we perpetuate even in a culture like this that doesn't emphasize that, doesn't teach that, doesn't, doesn't really come from that perspective, many of us have echoes of that in our environment. And when you speak to someone who's not a Christian, oftentimes you see that they have that exact same grid of, oh, you know, I, that's that place where I go uh, and I feel bad about myself and do all, you know, da, 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 all, whatever version of, of that. Well, again, the only way to represent to those people something different is to have experienced the reality of it yourself and to show them what the love of God looks like, what acceptance looks like. So if you would stand real quick, I just want to pray for you guys real quick.
So Lord, we just, um, together, we just, again, choose to look, look with open eyes at, at the challenge that's, that's before us, that, that we've been asked to love our enemies, we've been asked to, to love the world, we've been asked to love people, we've been asked to love sinners. And we recognize that we also, in the midst of that, have these broken lenses that we were given that, that are honestly not really our fault and not even the people who gave them, gave them to us fault, but a person before them and a person before them and a person before them who gave this picture of an angry God who had to fix a problem that we created rather than a God who loved the world so much that he gave his son. So first, Lord, I just invite each of us into an encounter with the Holy Spirit where we begin to see areas that we have not received the acceptance of God. Where even though we have read it in Scripture, we have not experienced it in reality, that we can only and do only love God because he first loved us. That we would experience the reality that while we were still yet sinners, God sent Christ to die for us. And Lord, we repent for any way, whether implicitly or explicitly, that we have misrepresented the gospel by making it about performing, by making it about adhering to Christian values rather than being transformed by receiving those values from the heart of Christ. Lord, teach us how to connect without judgment. Teach us how to connect heart to heart, to say that we are good, that love is still, there is still a pipeline to pass love between us without reducing our values, without changing our pursuit of righteousness, without, without, um, without mistaking acceptance uh, for, for, for allowance or enablement or, 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 or any other false picture, that true acceptance is the foundation of love. And so, Lord, we need to see the only way that we can operate in perfect love is if we see it in you. So we ask today, Lord, reveal yourself to us again and again and again. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.